Thank you so very much for that great song, the great message, and for the young people also that were singing those great hymns of the faith. I appreciate them so very, very much. Well, I believe we've had a great conference, and if not, I've had a great time. So either way, I'm a double winner. And again, as I've said every night, I'm so thankful to be allowed to have a small part in the conference here in a church that has meant so much to me uh, through the last 18 years and to be given a precious daughter, Naomi, and what a great, great gift that is. And I, they've already given the best that they've had, and I appreciate that so much. And to see the faithfulness of God's people in this church, it has always been such an encouragement to my heart. And I've often been taught through the years and all through Bible college that a church takes on the personage of the pastor. And what I see in Pastor Mrs. McMath and the entire family is what I see in you all. And that is a great blessing to me to see a church, as the song was just sung, we want to reach the loss. We want to reach one more soul. And that's why this missions conference is so very, very important. We want to reach just one more soul. I had such a great time yesterday, went out with y'all on visitation in Soul Winnie, had the privilege to go with Brother Dave, and we went to the doors, and I was impressed to watch as Dave at every door tried to share the gospel, and sometimes to a door as it was closing. That was a blessing, and that we were able just to share the gospel. And you know, people don't normally get saved the first time you share the gospel, but someone has to be the one that plants that seed. And I was so excited to see so many people out there planting that someday someone else may come along and be able to harvest because you put the seed, so to speak, in the analogy, you put the seed in the ground. So never become disheartened or discouraged that when you share the gospel that they don't accept the Lord immediately. That's not our job. Our job is to plant the seed, it's to water the seed, and then God is the one that will give the increase. And so thank you, church, for all your love to my wife and I and, and to my son, Randy. I appreciate that so very, very much. Well, we're coming to the end of our conference tonight, and so we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you can take your Bibles and open up to 1 Kings chapter number 17. I have to admit, <laughs> I was sitting there in the chair while church was going on, and I opened my notebook and just to look at my notes so I could get my Bible turned to it, and I wrote all of the verses, but I didn't write the book or the chapter. So I'm sitting by my wife and say, quick, look at Luke chapter 4, verse number 25. Read the references there. It's going to reference you back to what I'm going to speak about. And so I don't know why I had to be honest. You didn't need to know that, but... Uh, I thought it just was kind of humorous. So <laughs> we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 8 through verse number 24. And of course, this is the account of Elijah and a little widow lady that had nothing but a little bit of oil, a little bit of meal, was going to cook one more meal for her son, and then she was going to die. And so our topic for the entire week in the missions conference is that a waiting world needs a willing church. 
and we've tried to go through each of the messages to show you why as a church you ought to be willing to send the gospel to a waiting world. And so each of the messages have been designed to show that message. How can we become more willing to be able to get the gospel out to people who have never heard? And so we're going to the Old Testament, and normally you don't preach about missions conferences from the Old Testament because you're planting churches. And of course, the church isn't there in the Old Testament, but Jesus Christ is mentioned through every single book. And so we're going to look at Elijah as the prophet. Remember, we spoke, I think it was on even the first night on Wednesday, and we've been repeating this over and over. As you receive a prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. You receive a righteous man, you receive the righteous man's reward. I want you to see this widow lady who literally had nothing to give. If she gave what she had, it definitely would be what we would say her last supper. Her goal was to make one more, not a cake, but one little piece of bread. They were going to eat it, and then her son and her were going to die. There was nothing left. And so then the prophet Elijah is going to be sent from God to this particular widow lady. And he's going to say this, listen, if you'll, paraphrasing, if you'll receive me as the prophet of God, I want you to notice how you'll receive the reward of that prophet, the prophet Elijah. So let's begin reading in verse number 8. <clears throat> we'll read down to verse number 24. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this is to Elijah, Arise, get, to, get thee to Seraphath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Remember what the word receive means? That's the word, sustain thee. So when we talk about receiving a prophet, that's exactly what God's going to command this widow lady, that you're going to sustain Elijah. The little widow lady is going to say, I don't have enough to even sustain me. But she's going to be obedient to the command of God, and later on we'll notice the reward of the prophet. Um, so verse number 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city... Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel. A little side note, there's not been rain for almost three and a half years. And he's asking for water. Verse 11. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he, meaning her son, 
and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and, and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Father in heaven, again now at the close of this conference, in the next few moments, as we establish the truth that we learned on Wednesday night about receiving a prophet, a righteous man, and even a child. Lord, that there is no kindness that is given to the ministers of the gospel, whatever their title may be, that will not be returned in interest to that which they have given to the people of God. And so, Lord, this week has been a week of talking about missions and missionaries, whether they are home missions or foreign missions. People are people, and they need the same gospel all over the world. Thank you for Brother Montoya and his heart for Albuquerque, going back to the place of his childhood to start a church. And, Father, I pray that you would just be with that ministry and, Lord, prosper it. Give him souls for his labor. Lord, that the return of the investment of these people will be a part in the souls that will be saved there in Cottonwood Baptist Church. Lord, we all know Cottonwood. It is blown with the wind, and that little bit of cotton, when the wind blows, it just spreads it everywhere. What an apt name for a church that preaches the gospel. May the wind and the breath of your Holy Spirit spread the gospel to that entire area and around the world that many souls might come to Christ. Lord God, now I ask that you would quiet our hearts. Lord, there's many concerns in each and everyone's heart. There's things that are happening in their heart right now that are a burden that are hard to bear. Some have lost loved ones. Lord, there's things of this week, Lord, that we're uncertain of. We don't know how certain things will turn out. But God, in these moments, may you allow us to take everything out of our mind that would hinder the truths of your word on reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, how I thank you for these good folk who have been faithful every single night of the conference, and they're here again tonight on the close. And 
Lord, I know many of them will be going to work early in the morning, but they're here in the house of God because they want to be stirred by your spirit. And Lord, please do not allow them to go away disappointed. Stir them with the mighty spirit of God. Lord, as we listen to your word and be led by the spirit to understand the truth of what we're going to speak tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you briefly just a little background. We won't read verses 1 through 7. But O King Ahab is the king of Israel at this time. A very wicked, wicked man. We know his wife Jezebel. That actually her blood was licked up by the dogs after her death. A very wicked, wicked, wicked woman. And so Elijah told King Ahab. He said, there is not going to be any rain until I speak the word. And only when I speak the word will the rain return to Samaria and to Israel. And so we find in the New Testament that that period of time was a period of three and one half years with absolutely no water. Many of you perhaps have been to Israel, and you notice northern Israel, Samaria, where that's going to be, is a beautiful place. You get down into the south of Israel, and you're thinking, is there anything green left? Is there anything that even grows down there in that Judean desert? But for three and a half years, there's not going to be any rain. That's what California is like, and I believe also that's God's judgment on that ungodly state. But there's no rain. We don't know. The widow lady doesn't know how long it's going to last. And I don't even know if Elijah knows the exact time of that famine and, and that drought until God tells him. But for these years, God is going to provide for his prophet in supernatural ways. First of all, God commands Elijah to go down to the brook Cherith. And he's to stay at that brook He's going to be hid from King Ahab. He will not be found. He's going to drink the water from the brook. And the ravens are going to bring him his meals both morning and night. The ravens are going to bring the meals to Elijah. And God is going to sustain his prophet miraculously by these ravens and the water that's in this brook. While all the rest of Israel is looking for water, God provides for his prophet. But we find that the brook eventually dries up. The water is gone. The ravens no longer will be bringing the food as they did heretofore. And we find in the text that we just read that he is to rise, he's to go to Seraphath. And I want you to notice how God speaks to Elijah about this widow woman. So notice first of all verse number 9. Back in chapter 17. So he leaves the brook. The ravens are no longer bringing him food. And what's interesting is God had commanded the ravens. That's the word he'd used. And now notice as he speaks to the widow at Seraphath. There in verse number 9. Arise, get thee to Seraphath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, notice these words. I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. The word isn't the Lord said, well, I'm asking this widow lady. I'm going to do things in her life so she's going to receive you. He says, no, I have commanded this widow lady. 
And I love the words that he uses and how Scripture complements Scripture. He said, I'm going to command the widow lady, and she is going to sustain thee. In verse number 9, as we said already, the same definition of the word received that we studied on Wednesday night. Exact same word. That widow is going to sustain the prophet of God. She is going to do so at a great expense at the beginning to her life. As we already said, she believes that she is going to make one more meal. It will be their last supper, and then they are going to die. No one there is willing to help her because nobody there has an abundance of water, abundance of meal, an abundance of oil. The drought taken a toll on everyone, and this widow lady has nothing left. And so the first point I want us to look at tonight, to encourage our hearts. So you may be thinking, we're like that widow lady. I really don't have a lot that I can invest. Point number one, availability is the absolute greatest ability. And of course, that's not new with me. We've heard that many times. Again, <clears throat> Availability is the absolute greatest ability. And so this widow lady, as she looked at what she had, she would have to say, I don't have the ability, Elijah, to take care of you. We're dying. We have nothing left. And they must be at a point of almost skin and bones and lost weight during the last years without the rain. And nobody cares for her soul. She's a widow. You don't understand the Old Testament to be a widow and not to have a husband. There's no one that can stand up to speak for you, and you're not allowed to speak for yourself. She has nothing. She has nobody. And then the prophet comes to her and says, listen, I want you to make me a meal first. And then you make something for yourself. Well, she realizes if she does that, she's not going to have enough for her own son, and for herself. But she made herself available. You see, when we make ourselves available, what we're going to find out tonight, when we make ourselves available, God doesn't care about the ability that you have to use for him because it's God that provides the availability and then gives you the ability to be able to carry out that great commission. So again, availability is the absolute greatest ability. I love that because that puts every single person on the same footing. Every Christian has exactly the same amount to invest of their availability. God didn't send Elijah to someone that had the ability to take care of him. God sent Elijah to and commanded a widow ladies to sustain him not by her ability, but by being available, God would give her the ability to do the command that God had commanded her. Availability is the absolute greatest ability. We won't turn there, but in the book of Luke, Jesus is speaking. In chapter 4, and verse 25, he says, But I tell you of a truth. Listen to this. Many widows were in Israel... In the days of Elias or Elijah. There were many widows that were there. It says, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And it says, when great famine was throughout all of the land. 
But Jesus says, But unto none of these other widows was Elias sent, save unto Zarepta, the city of Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. There were many widows in Israel that God could ascend Elijah to, but there is only one that God would command, and the woman that had no ability was the one widow lady that God knew would have the availability. You see, to find a person, a child of God even, that makes themselves available for God to command them, and that's what God did the widow lady. He wasn't say, hey, if you get the time, would you do this? No, I've commanded this woman. It means I've given her a charge. And this poor widow, she's going to take care of you. There's many others, but there's not a lot of people that are available. Can I say that the church of Jesus Christ around the world needs to have churches that are filled with people that are available? Do not look at what you possess. Look at your availability, and God will give you the ability to serve him. So we ask the first question tonight, are you available? If God commanded you, and I kind of think that the Great Commission was a command, wasn't it? It's not the great suggestion. <laughs> it's the Great Commission. God has spoke to the church here in Espanola. He said, I command you to take the gospel through the whole world by supporting the missionaries that cannot go into another country and you cannot work in another country. They won't allow you in there. It's not like America. You have to have a visa. In Cambodia, if you don't have a visa, you get fined $5 every single day that you live there without a visa. They're serious. They're not going to let you in. But God commanded that one little widow lady. And he commands all of the churches of Jesus Christ. He gives you a command saying, listen, sustain those missionaries. Elijah was the prophet, great man of God. But he needed a poor, lonely widow lady that God commanded to sustain him so that he could live through the drought. What the widow lady didn't know at the beginning is, if I follow through with this, it's going to cost me everything. And sometimes we have that thought, if I really do what God's commanding me, it's going to cost too much. It never costs too much. Because God will always give you what you need. If you're available, God brings in the ability I'm so thankful in, uh, since the time that we've been married in the early years of our marriage that we committed to constantly support missionaries. And God has blessed us. Again, we're not talking about finances. That stuff gets left behind when you die. It's just wood, hay, and stubble and lights a good fire. Here's the blessings of God that you'll never realize. I firmly believe that God watches over his children. And there are things that were going to happen in your life, except God saw it coming. And God has saved you from something, whatever it is, and you don't even know about it because it never happened. Don't count your blessings by what you can see. 
I don't know if I can be so strong to say I guarantee, but I'm going to say it anyway. I guarantee when you get to heaven, you have a complete understanding. Like Paul says, you're going to think, wow, I didn't know God was there. I thought it was all by myself. I didn't think anybody cared. I didn't know that that was going to happen. Because God saves us from so many things and we don't know about it because we've never seen it. That's the greatness of the God that we serve. You know, that's why Paul can say all things work together for good. Even when we can't see it. We're going to be amazed, I believe, and this is observation, which means I can't take this from Scripture. But we're going to be overwhelmed in heaven when we understand the blessings of God that we never recognized. That's where that widow lady is right now. I'm going to die. But what she doesn't know is God's literally going to rescue her from something. And at the beginning, she doesn't even realize exactly all that God is doing, that God is going to save her from things that she's not going to even know of. So God commanded the widow lady. wasn't a suggestion. We would think, Lord, that's really cruel. No, but see, what God understands is by commanding that little widow lady to sustain Elijah, Elijah, through the mighty power of God, was going to sustain her. That is missions. We sustain the missionaries. Reward received. As we receive them, God sustains us so that we work together as a team. The same way that God's going to use the widow lady to sustain the needs of Elijah. And then Elijah is going to use the power of God to make sure her oil never runs out, to make sure her meal never goes dry. And that when the sun dies, and even Elijah doesn't understand, the man of God is there whom the woman has sustained. He prays, he sees God's face. And the soul of that young child came to life again. She thought she was going to die. God said, I want you to give me everything you have. I'm not saying God says, give you all your fine. I'm not saying that. God wants you. He doesn't want what you have. If he has you, he has what you have. So what God is saying to this poor widow lady, you don't have anything, but that's not a problem. It's not a problem. God doesn't want what she has. God wants her. God wants you, church here in Española. God wants you, every person that is here this evening. What you lack is not a difficulty in the eyes of God. What is difficult is when we are not available because we think that our lack is greater than the availability of God. So, again, availability is the absolute greatest ability. So we see that she was available, but she lacked the ability, didn't she? She was available. God commanded her. I'm not, I do not have the ability, God, to do what you want. God said, that's okay. I'm just commanding you that you sustain Elijah, and you just be available, and I will do the rest. What a great God that we serve. What a great God. So I have commanded a widow lady to sustain thee. You know how hard that must have been on Elijah? If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, that woman only has one more meal to eat. Oh, God, can I please go somewhere else? Can you please use somebody else? Lord, that is just too humbling. 
God, can you please give me something and somebody else? You know, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive because sometimes receiving is very hard and it's very humbling. Let me illustrate that for you. When I surrendered to go to Cambodia in 2002, I'd started a Christian school maybe 10 or 11 years before that. And I was explaining to the Christian school how independent Baptist missions work that I'll be visiting many, many churches, explaining the need of that country, and that God, through His Spirit, would work on certain churches to take us on for support, and certain other churches, I would encourage them, but maybe they're not able to take me on for support. That doesn't matter at all, because God sustains you. There was this young boy in our church. He was eight years old. His name was Caleb. And it was towards the end of that school year, and I was saying goodbye to the kids. And that little eight-year-old boy came up to me with a baggie. And in that baggie was all the coins that he had earned and that he had in his bank. And he came up to me and said, Pastor Ray, can I give to you also? You know what every fiber of my being said? Absolutely not. You keep that for yourself. But that's pride. Humility says, thank you so much. And then you go in the office and you close the door and you cry and you rebuke yourself for the pride of denying a young boy to invest in something that brings 10,000%. It's not always easy. It couldn't be easy for Elijah. But see, what the prophet Elijah understood, he didn't know exactly all that was going to happen while he was there, but he knew his God. When that widow lady invested in him and received him and sustained him, he knew his God was going to take care of that widow lady. And to go and look for another way and another person to take care of him meant the death of that widow lady. And so, yes, sometimes it's very difficult to receive. It's a whole lot easier to give. That little boy was named Caleb. Then another time, there was a poor little widow lady, and I don't even remember what church or state it was in, but she gave me one of the tithing envelopes. And inside that tithing envelope, I opened up, and there was two $1 bills. I thought or started thinking about the widow's might. Those two $1 bills meant more to me than $2,000 bills. I kept that with me all through deputation. I kept those $2. I kept it in that envelope because I wanted to remind myself that there were some little widow ladies that were given when they didn't have the ability to give, but there was the availability. I don't know what happened to those $2 after a deputation and packing. I'm not sure what happened to them. But I kept those $2. I kept that envelope to remind me that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's a prideful thing to say to someone that doesn't have the ability but is available to say, no, no, you need that more. No, 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 no. God wants to use her investment to bring a return back to her as well as to missions. And so I've seen that and been in those places where people gave where they did not have the ability, but they were available. So number one, 
She was available, but lacked the ability. That's not a problem with the God that we serve. God just wants you to be available. Don't worry about the ability. Secondly, we'll notice in verse number 10 of our text again, she was abandoned and alone. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Seraphath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. I want you to understand in the Old Testament, the gates of the city weren't just gates. The gates of the city is where judgment took place. The gates of the city are where the elders met to discuss affairs of the city. It's, so to speak, where the movers and shakers were. Those that had the things of this life, they were at the gates of the city. This little widow lady is at the gates of the city. She's looking for sticks. She's abandoned. She's alone. And that day and time to be a widow meant you had absolutely no right. Because you didn't have a man to speak for you. And so here in the gate of that city is where all the judges and where all the movers and shakers, so to speak, in the vernacular of our day, that's where they are at. But no one even sees her. No one goes over and gives her any alms. No one says, here, I have some firewood. Here, take this. They knew who this little widow lady was. No one came to her and said, listen, I know you're having a hard time. And you know, we're having a difficult time, but we have so much more than you. Here, let me fill up your barrel of meal, your cruise of oil. No one noticed her at all. God saw that. God knew that. And God commanded her to sustain that prophet. Because it was the greatest thing that she could possibly do that was going to save her life, her son's life, and was going to give her the meal and the oil that the rest of Israel didn't have. But she did. David would say this in his times of deepest sorrow. He said, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. I love that. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then, at that point, then thou knewest my path. God knew the path of that widow lady. She knew that she was at the edge of death. Dave would go on and say, In the way wherein I walked, had I privily laid a snare for me. No one cared for that woman. David was been there. He knew what it was like. He said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. That's where God steps in. This little widow lady, and he's going to make sure this little widow lady has what all the rest of Israel does not have. She's always going to have the water. She's always going to have the oil. She's always going to have the meal. She's always going to have the food to take care of her and for Elijah. Not because she was able, but because she was available. So she's ignored by everybody. Finally, she's there at the gate. Elijah comes into the gate and calls her out. He recognizes her. 
He acknowledges her, her existence. What would run through her mind? Maybe this man. He's acknowledged me. He's talking to me. You don't do that to widow ladies at that time. He knows I'm alive. Her soul would light up. Her eyes would light up. He sees me. God's going to rescue me. She's been ignored by everybody. Could this be the man that's willing to help me? Here's what I see in my mind. Looking at that situation. I see her stand up. Maybe a brief smile starts to cross her lips. Her eyes maybe get a little bit of light. Someone's acknowledged me. Someone's going to help me. Her heart is lifted up, but just as quickly it falls as she's being asked to serve and to give what she does not have. Can you imagine putting yourself in the place of that widow lady? You're at the gates of the city. Your elders want nothing to do with you. You're forgotten. You're forsaken. And here comes a man who acknowledges you. You think, yes, this is the day I'm saved. And he says, I want you to give to me what you have and what you really do not have. Look at verses um, 10 through 12 in our text there in 1 Kings 17. And he arose and went to Seraphath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. That is the obligation of a Jewish person when a traveler comes by their house. She was obligated to take care of him. Verse 12. And she said, As the Lord God... As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I might go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat, and then we may die. Eat and die. She was abandoned. She was left alone. And here comes a man of God that's saying, feed me. God saying, sustain him. And then thirdly, in the verses 13 through 16, she comes to a point of acceptance. I'm going to take care of them. She accepts the prophet. What follows acceptance is always going to be action. She just doesn't accept that there's a need. She comes to a point where she accepts what God has commanded her to do. She accepts the charge of Elijah. It's not good enough just to understand and hear and to accept that there or, or to understand that there is a need and to come to that point of acceptance many christians will say yeah those missionaries need to be supported on the field those missionaries need the the help of many many churches to sustain their family while they live on a foreign field but so many times it's not followed by action you see with acceptance of the command of god it should always be followed by action. Always followed by action. Notice verses 13 through verse 16. And Elijah said unto her, fear not. Well, am I that whittling and think, well, that's sure easy for you to say. You're the man of God. I've got a lot to fear. I have nobody. And so Elijah, after he asked for everything that she has, she says, listen, don't be afraid. Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, 
meaning make a little piece of, of, of cake for, or bread for your son and you, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. In our American culture, that just causes me to cringe, doesn't it you? I'm first. Boy, we rebel against that in a hurry, don't we? But that's what God had commanded this little widow lady. Go on in verse number 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. You see, the command comes with a promise. If you don't give of the command, you'll never receive the promise. So notice 14, the promise. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did. Notice she acted that which she accepted, she acted on. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. When it seems like God is asking too much, it's because he's preparing you to give you much more than what you've ever expected. And so... The third point, she comes to a point of acceptance. She is going to do what the prophet said. Then that acceptance is followed by action. Elijah says, listen, what I'm going to ask you, it's going to bring you to a place of fear. And so he says in verse 13, listen, don't be afraid. Church, never be afraid to do more than what you think you can do for Jesus Christ. You make yourself available, God will give you the ability to do whatever God has put upon your heart. Fear not. Why did he say fear not? Because she's scared out of her gourd. You don't say to someone, don't be afraid unless they're doing this. If I take the right action, I'm going to die, Elijah. Don't be afraid. You see, Elijah had inside information, didn't he? Now, that's illegal if you're in stocks and bonds and a trader. You can't act on inside knowledge and inside information. But Elijah knew something that that widow lady did not know. And later, he's going to share that with her. You make something for me first. Boy, that, I don't like saying that. But if you will do that, and if you'll have faith in what I'm going to say you're never going to lack anything. As long as I'm here, God is going to take care of you. So Elijah had inside information. He is asking a lot because she will get so much more than what she gives. Again, let me tell you how God gives. Jesus says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressing down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. And so God, through Christ, gives us this promise. As you invest in whatever ministry of Jesus Christ that God is burdening your heart about, and God said when he gives back, it's going to be good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And he says, for with the same measure that you meet with all, or that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. What's good measure mean? 
that when God gives the return on the investment that you invest in his ministry, he doesn't do it with a teaspoon. As we saw this morning, it was 10,000% the blessings of God that he pours out upon those. As Peter said, we have forsaken all. What do we have? Well, let me tell you about the heavenly 401k, so to speak. This little lady needed to understand that. God says it's a good measure. In other words, he gives back, so to speak, in the bucketfuls, not by the teaspoon. He says he presses it down. How many of you have a trash compactor? Anybody have a trash compactor? It's the most amazing. You have a trash compactor? I'm glad of that. It's the most amazing machine. It takes 10 pounds of trash, and it smashes it all together, and it makes 10 pounds of trash. That just doesn't make sense until you understand what Luke is saying. It makes 10 pounds of trash, 10 pounds of trash, but it makes room for so much more trash. I like that, not having to take the trash out. When I can jump up and down in that little trash can and smash it all down and say, here, it's good for another 30 minutes. <laughs> good measure, pressed down, shaken together. God will give back to you. And he says it will be running over. Now again, we're not saying that we give to get. But the Lord is saying, as you sustain God's people, you make yourself available. He is going to give you the ability and he is going to give you the prophet's reward. And that's exactly now what that little widow lady is going to receive. The prophet's reward. Notice verses 14 through 16. We read these already, but I want us to notice the fourth point. There's a daily addition and complete assurance. There's a daily addition and a complete in, um, assurance. Verses 14 through 16. Um, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Now here's an observation. Again, when I say observation, I can't prove this from the word of God. But it's just knowing that God says, I want to give you your daily bread. God never said, I'm going to provide you your weekly bread because we don't have to live by faith for six of those days. He says, I'm not going to give you your monthly day bread. I'm only going to give you your daily bread. Why? Because the just shall walk by faith. And so this is an observation. It may or it may not be true. The way I look at this, I don't believe the barrel was ever full. I believe the barrel was always right there where there's only enough for one more meal. I believe that the oil just stayed at that same level. It never filled itself up. Why do I believe that? Because if the barrel is full, here's what I would do. I would take out enough for one day. I'd put the rest of that meal into another container, and I'd be selling the rest of that in order to make money so now I don't have to live by faith. Isn't that what we would do? Again, it's an observation. I don't know if the barrel was all over the way full. I just know some of the principles of God is that we must walk by faith and not by sight. 
Uh, Paul says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If the bucket was full and the cruise was full, you don't need to walk by faith any longer. Elijah, I just don't need you anymore. There's enough here to last me for months. So if the barrel was full, if the cruise was full of oil, that is something that is worth a lot, a lot, a lot of money at this time because nobody had enough. But when you live by faith, you're going to take the rest of the meal and the oil that's in those two containers and it's going to empty it out. And when you make the bread and, and you go back to make the next day's bread or the evening bread, you look in there and there's still the same amount that was there before you made the first meal of the day. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, there was a daily addition and then a complete assurance. There was no need to fear. She never had enough. It always was the last of the meal, the last of the oil. But every time she went back to make another day's worth of bread, it was right where it was when she emptied it out the first time. And her faith was increased and then verses 17 through 23, and we'll, we'll close with these. We won't read all these verses. We'll just paraphrase it. Her son dies. And she's in a state of remorse and panic. And she, she's going to go over to Elijah, and she's going to complain to Elijah. Notice verse 17. And it came to pass after these things, I mean, they have meal, they have oil, they have food. That the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, who is the prophet, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? You see, she still has a misunderstanding of God's goodness and love. She says the prophet... You've come back to bring up my sin. And you've brought up my sin, and so God has killed my son because of my sin. That is unscriptural, isn't it? Now, the iniquities of the parents, they go to three and four generations, but God's word never says that the sons will pay for the sin of their fathers. They will for the iniquity, the lawlessness, but not for their sin. So she still has a misconception about who God really is. And so she goes to um, Elijah and she complains that you have brought my sins back to remembrance. You have laid my sins open and God has seen them and God has struck my child dead. Why have you come to call my sins unto remembrance? Look at verse 24. The son comes to life. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this, the raising of her son from the dead, I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You see, I only knew that you were a great provider of meal and oil. A lot of people could provide meal and oil, but only your God can raise the dead. Only our God can raise the dead. 
That's what made her understand. Now I know that you are the man of God and the word of God is in your mouth. You see, finally now, she has received the prophet as the man of God. And now she's received the reward of that prophet. Sustained sustenance throughout the entire time of the drought. And then bringing her son back from the grave. Don't you think all the neighbors wondered, where's that little widow lady keep getting all that meal and all that oil? There's a drought out there. I don't even have enough to make bread every single day. How can she do that? You receive a prophet. You receive the prophet's reward. You receive a righteous man. You receive the righteous man's reward. You give a cup of cold water to child, only in the name of a disciple, and you're not going to lose that reward. See, missions conferences, as we close, is a time of investment so that we stand before Jesus Christ. There's that 3,000%. There's that 6,000%. There's that 10,000%. With that kind of percentage, it really doesn't matter how little you have, does it? When God gives you back in bucketfuls at 10,000%, even a dollar is going to make a big difference. Don't judge yourself by how little you can give. Judge yourself by how available you are to God. And let Him give you the ability that you did not believe that you had. You're a great church. You're known as a mission-giving church. You're out in the field. You talk to other missionaries, and they'll say, that church at Española? They are a mission-minded church. I'm surprised Pastor McMath has time to do anything else besides answer phones of missionaries that say, hey, we want to come to your church. You're known as a mission-giving church. You're known by other missionaries, a church that loves missions. Yet God said, I want you to even be more available. Remember, time is our friend. At 10,000%, keep busy. Serving Jesus Christ, Pastor.